Here we go. Let's get started. Acts 13 and 36. For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell on sleep and was laid unto his fathers and saw corruption. When we look at this, we realize that David served his own generation by, and here's the key, the will of God, not his will, not his family's will, the will of God. I'm all for Christian family input. Obviously, I am, but just can't put family over God. It's it's by the will of God. And that was, um, that was able to be said. David lived his life in a manner, so many things. And as you know, if you know much about the life of David at all, he made some pretty serious mistakes. I mean, he, he, caused, uh, he caused a lot of innocent people to be killed. And then, I mean, he, he, was a, he was an agent he was God's agent of judgment in some areas, but then he got arrogant and, and numbered the people. In other words, he, you know, he wanted to look at what he could do and, and he numbers the people and uh, a lot of people died over that. He committed adultery and, and, and killed the woman's husband. And so he died because of David. The baby died because of David. And so it's one thing for us to think about David and think about he killed the lion, he killed the bear, he killed Goliath, he was the king. Okay, it's one thing to think about that. But one thing about the Bible that is, that is so powerful is it shares with us the good and the bad. So we can see. But at the end of his life, it was said of him, Whenever it was all put together, what, what was said of David? He served his own generation, own generation by the will of God and fell on sleep. So let's talk about serving. There will be a couple of uh, comments I make that I have already used in other lessons, but they just fit so well. And I feel like education is not what you hear. It's what you remember. And repetition is a key to that. And so let's talk about serving. This is my absolute favorite serving scripture. And of course, it speaks of, of ministered or it speaks of ministry, but it's, it's the same thing. Matthew twenty twenty eight. even as the Son of Man came not. When we're speaking about the Son of Man, we're speaking about Jesus Christ. So you can't beat that. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, he came not to be served, but to minister or but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So Jesus didn't come to serve. This scripture, you know that I've taught it before and I'm, I have repeated what I'm going to say right now. Jesus, if, if we could gain a revelation of Matthew twenty twenty eight, it would absolutely change our lives. Jesus Christ said, I came not to be served, not to be ministered to, but to minister and to give my life an example for many. And so when we speak about the example of Jesus Christ, you cannot get a better example than that. There are none. Well, but you don't know my grandma. She wasn't Jesus. Well, you don't know my grandfather. He was a great man of God, started 452 churches. Well, he wasn't Jesus. We, we cannot take a human 
and put a human over Jesus Christ. He was the greatest example, and literally, he was the one who served up his very life for a ransom for, for us. Now, obviously, when we talk about Jesus and serving, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time here because this is not the focus of the lesson, but remember, uh, our mind usually goes to when he washed their feet. I think the key thing to remember was that at that time, there should have been 12 servants in the room and one Lord. But in reality, there were 12 lords and one servant because they, they positioned themselves as a Lord instead of a servant. We must never make that that. I mean, that's a major mistake to make if, if we're going to put ourselves in the position of lordship. We're never going to understand this if we position ourselves in the position of lordship. And so Jesus washes their, their feet. It's interesting that the Bible talks about uh, in, in uh, Matthew 25, I believe it is, where it talks about you've been faithful over you know, a few things, I will make you ruler over many. In another place in the Bible, it talks about well done, thou what? Good and faithful what? Servant. Servant. And so we're, we're going to take a look at this. A very practical definition that I have in your notes is serving is doing what needs to be done when it needs to be done, no matter what needs to be done. Serving is doing what needs to be done when it needs to be done, no matter what needs to be done. We just literally cannot be too good to serve. We can, if we have it within our power, or even if there's somebody that needs something and we don't have it in our power, but we know of someone that we could help them and, and we can do it. However, we have to be positioned to serve. Jesus saw what needed to be done and he did it. And I know that there was a greater message there. I understand. Jesus didn't just get down and wash their feet because he knew there were dirty feet. He, he was trying to, um, he used that for a bigger message, but let's not skip over totally the basic message we had dirty feet. Somebody needed to wash them. Everybody else in the room was too big to do it, and Jesus did it. Now, let's look in our notes about how serving is both real and felt need-based. Serving. Serving is real need-based. There's real needs, and it's also felt needs and so when, when we're serving, we, we have to understand this. Now, when we're talking about the real need, the real need is what we know is needed, whether they know it or not. We may look at situations and there's a real need somebody has. They may not even know it, but, but we know it. We see this very clearly in raising children. Parents are serving all the time. Now, at some age, it needs to stop. But when you have, when you have smaller children, I mean, there's different ways you'll serve forever. I understand that. But, but really, when, when you have smaller children, they don't know what they need. 
they, they know what they want, but they don't know what they need. And so we get into this knowing that sometimes we serve in a manner of what they need. We know in time, if they mature, if they continue to mature, then there will be a time they will understand a little bit about, about what they really need versus what they want. My point is there are just sometimes that, that we serve in a manner of what someone needs, and they don't even realize that. But now when we consider felt needs, this is a different story because, you know, if the child feels hungry, is thirsty, cold, lonely, whatever, feelings can bring in somebody's openness for somebody to serve. So we have real and we have felt. Now, obviously, the felt needs many times are the gateway, or it is the gateway for the real need. I heard one preacher say one time that, you know, that hungry man probably needs a hamburger before a trap. He has a felt need. He's hungry. So it's like, you know, it, uh, you know unless, unless that one God track has cheese on it, he, he's probably not going to be as interested in that if he's hungry. Does this make sense? So you've got the felt and the real, and, and we have to um, get good at understanding what to do with that. So now let's look at my own generation. So we're talking about serving, and now we go to my own generation. So let's consider the generations and zero in on ours. So I have on your notes, I think this will be helpful later on, but we have a generational breakdown. Uh, breakdown. So the greatest generation are those that were uh, born from 1910 to 1924. I don't know if we have anybody in the building of the greatest generation. But for the sake of asking, do we have anybody in here that, that was uh, born between 1910 and 1924? Do we have anybody who feels like? That you okay, all right, and and then we have the silent generation, nineteen twenty-five to nineteen forty-five. Do we have anyone in here that's a part of the silent generation? Okay, we have two, three, four, five. Okay, we have we have a few, and I don't know why I didn't study it enough to know why it's called the silent generation. Maybe maybe I should know. I don't know. You don't have to be silent. But for some reason, it's called that. Silent what? Silent movie, Scott? Is that really the reason why? All right. Thank you, sir. I appreciate you. But, okay, but I'm sure that, you know, none of y'all ever watch movies. So that, I got you, right? right. Okay, I'm going to move on before we go off that cliff. Uh, the baby boomer generation. Baby boomers born from 1946 to 1964. Do we have any other baby boomers in here? Okay, I, I thought that would be uh, one that we would have a few. How about Generation X, born 1965 to 1979? Uh, any, anyone? Okay, Generation X, look at this. Look, look, at these, look at these people. And then we have the Xennials, 1975- to 1985, 1975 to 85. Can you raise your hand? Okay. 
All right, we're just making sure everybody knows what generation you're, you're in. And then we have the millennials, which this is so interesting because then you go to the millennials and it's like they're called millennials, generation Y, generation next. It's like if the other generations just have one explanation, what's up with this? Maybe things just got so, let me use the word, interesting during this time that they really don't even know what to say. But 1980 to 1994, do we have, here we go, uh-huh, several, several in that. And then the iGen or Generation Z, and there's two, two explanations for that, 1995 to 2012. Any? Any? Okay, all right, we've got them right here, iGen and Generation Z. Um, Gen Alpha, 2013 to 20, well, it's not 2025 yet, 2013 on. Anybody? Okay. All right, so when we're speaking about some of these younger ones, there's interesting insight that I saw that, that someone said that from ages 1 to 6, a child forms attitudes from 6 to 12 habits and 12 to 18 character. All that says to me is, is you know, these, these young people, uh, there's a lot happening from zero to 18. And so we, we need to be tuned in for that. So this lesson is not primarily on the differences in generations because that was not my topic. But I can say this, that it would be wise if we would quit generalizing other generations. This is not good to just generalize. Well, the old people, well, what, what are you going to do? You know, what, what are we going to do with the old people? They won't listen. Those young people are nuts. They're, they're crazy. I, you know, who could... What in the world's going on? Or, okay, that, that's not working in the world, and it cannot work in the church. So when we're talking about generalizing different generations, this is not good. And what we need is, is we need to get very intentional about every generation, starting with our own. Like what makes us tick? Um, what are the basic thinking patterns? What, what has formed us? What has helped us? Um, what has helped our, our worldview? How do we see the world? You can believe that I see the world totally different than my daughter or my son. Totally. Well, so what are we going to do about that? Well, one thing that we cannot afford to do is just say, that generation is nuts, I'm not fooling with it. This generation, okay, we cannot do that. But what we need to do is we need to zero in on serving our generation and then see how that can lead. There's many of us that we're not just focused on just our generation. We're, we're trying to, to serve other generations also, but we ha let's focus somewhere. If, if we haven't been intentional about serving a demographic, why don't we get serious 
about our own generation and then let it flow out from there. In your notes, multi-generational, in my opinion, is as important as multicultural. Multicultural is very important, but multi-generational, in my opinion, is just as important. And so I know that we're concerned about the children and we're concerned about young people. Absolutely, I love the focus that, that we put at New Life on this, but at the same time, there are just no unimportant generations. There, there are none. And I love teaching this lesson here because this is, this is a church that is based on the generational church model where we're seeking to equip and engage all generations. Now, in your notes, there are over 40 mentions in the King James Version of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So you can believe that the Bible is most definitely multi-generational. And so, therefore, we ought to be also. So how must we serve? How can I serve my generation? Now, when I'm speaking about my generation, I am empowered, you are empowered, whatever generation you're a part of, I am empowered with knowledge that has led to understanding. I, I have knowledge of the baby boomers, and I have understanding. I understand baby boomers more than I understand any other generation. And likewise, it's the same with, with all of us. So what we must do is, is have this kind of understanding and focus on serving our generation. Now, Mel and I were having a conversation with our friends that are here uh, tonight with us from, uh, from Louisiana, and they are um, very qualified people, trained people. They've done a lot of work with uh, challenging situations, uh, people dealing with addictions and, and many things. And, and so earlier this afternoon, whenever we were talking, uh, he made a comment about we were talking about this lesson, and he made a comment about how important it is that we serve ourselves, that we serve ourselves. And then Melanie said, you know, yes, the Bible does say, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Uh, every time that I'm on an airplane, and those of you that fly, you know what happens. They get up and go through the same routine. And at some point, they're going to bring up the screen to where if we lose oxygen, you know, the air mat, the, the, the mask are going to come down. And they always say this, put your own oxygen mask on first and then help someone else. So as I was thinking about this after we quit talking, it came to me that we must know how to serve ourselves without becoming self-serving. We have to know how to serve ourselves without becoming self-serving. Um, we have to take care of ourselves. We have to. How, how are we going to help somebody else if, if, if we have no ability to help anybody else? How, so we have to get this right. And really, 
when we're talking about serving our generation, well, we're in it. We're in it. Now, now serving starts at home. And I, I have said that I don't know how many times. Serving starts at home. What we really are, we are at home. You've heard me work that over. Uh, it starts at home. But it, it really starts at home with me. I mean, I, I, have to, I have to be in some sort of, of shape or ability to be able to help anyone else inside my home. And so I would say that be very careful. I don't have time to, to work this over very, uh, very much, but let me just say this. Be very careful when you're always driven for somebody else, somebody else, somebody else, somebody else, somebody else, somebody else. You say, how in the world could you say that? Well, we do need to be concerned about other people, but there are some people that get driven in the ground, always serving someone else, and it could be coming from insecurity. And it could be coming from what we gain from people saying, oh man, there's nobody, there's nobody as helpful as you. Oh, there's nobody that serves like you. Oh, I've just not met anybody that is, that is so nice and so kind and works like you. Okay, you know, yes, there's times when we should be thanked because we should be doing something to be thanked. thanked. Does that make sense? But, but can... Can we be alone with ourself? There are, there are some people that are afraid of silence because they, they don't want to deal with the voices. They don't want to deal with the thoughts that they have. And so it's just better to just always be busy, 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 always this, always that, always on the phone, always texting, always running, always noise. All, all. But you can't, we can't run away from ourselves forever. You say, how in the world did we get here when we're talking about serving our own generation? Well, we're going to get back to talking about serving our own generation, but, but we, we have to start with us. It is so interesting that that Jesus actually left multitudes in need. Now, there was other times he healed, he healed them all. But then there was times he, he disappeared for prayer. And, and he disappeared to, to renew. And so when we're talking about serving, then absolutely we need to keep that in mind also. So, so here, here we are. Let's start with with what matters most when we're talking about serving. Are you ready? Now, I, I know that immediately when we start talking about serving our own generation, our, our mind can go to the third message of Matthew 25. There's three messages in Matthew 25, and we can land down there with the sheep and goat business. Well, we'll talk about that at the end, but, but let's, let's expand maybe our serving thoughts a little bit. Because there are real needs that people have, whether they know it or not. I'm not talking about maybe a felt need. So, some of them do feel it. But I'm not talking just about the felt needs. I'm talking about the real needs. So let's talk, let's talk spiritually. You say, how can we serve our generation spiritually? Well, we've got to get this figured out. 
because this is the most important thing. It speaks of the ever-living, never-dying soul. And let's get real here, and it's going to be kind of morbid, but, but let's, let's just talk about the facts. The greatest generation and the silent generation uh, are very close to eternity, and the baby boomers are on deck. Does that make sense? I mean, we've got the, si- the, the greatest generation and the silent generation very close to eternity. Um, and then the baby boomer generation, we're, we're next in line here. So when we're talking about serving people spiritually, let's look at the new birth. Because the greatest way we can serve people is by serving them with eternity in view. And we've got to get serious about sharing the message of uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I know that serving a felt need may open the door for that. I, I know that we have to be wise, but we, we have to know that, that it's important for people to be born again. To be born again, I was at a funeral night before last, and um, there was a man that was a major leader in Alexandria at, uh, at POA whenever I was there. His name's Bruce Melder. Uh, the man is just absolutely incredible. Well, he has since moved to Illinois, and we've, we've connected. I've been over there a couple times, and, and his uh, son's wife went into labor at five and a half months, and the baby lived an hour and a half. And so the funeral was night before last for that little baby. And so I went over there to uh, be with them, and we were, we were talking, and then his wife's brother died the next day. And so they literally buried their grandbaby, got in the van, and driving to Louisiana to attend the funeral for Joe Moore uh, tomorrow. And, and so we were talking... And I just said, uh, I want to thank you two, Bruce and Jill, for all of the people that you have taught Bible studies to and, and you've seen them born again. I guarantee you Bruce Melder is responsible for a few hundred people. The man is just one of the, I'd, I'd put him in the top five soul winners that I've known personally, always teaching about Bible study. And, uh, and Jill turned around and said, we ended up seeing both, of, both sets of parents born again before they died. And, and Bruce said, boy, we had a close one on, I think he said uh, his, uh, one of them's parents. And I said, how old were they? And he, he said, 91, 91. And I said, man, you just don't hear of a lot of 91-year-olds uh, being born again. And that hit me. Why aren't we? Why aren't we? Listen, our 70-year-olds our that that have not been born again, our 80-year-olds, our 90-year-olds. Come on. Is, is there a place to where they can just get to a certain age and then be out of sight that we just 
that they're just out of mind? Our own, our own generation. I'm not just speaking of the older generations. The younger generations got to be focused um, more than here and now. We've got to get focused on there and then. It's not just here and now. And the younger generations, it's so easy to get focused like that. So, so what is needed? What must be served? We know that, that serving spiritually is so important. And we know that, that what is needed is them being born again. Being born again. This is the reason why nursing home ministry is a big deal. I mean, we, we've got to get focused on this silent generation and these, these you know, 80, 90-year-olds. God's got to help us. He's got to give us wisdom. I mean, the rapture may take place tonight and we'll, and we'll all be judged at that point or next month or whatever. If the rapture does not happen, these elders are about to die. And we've got to get serious about serving what? Our generation. So we serve them spiritually and, and being born again of, of, with experiencing new birth. And also daily God connection of prayer and the Word. I can tell you that we can serve people practically in a major way if we can just help them know how to pray and know how to study the Word of God. That you, you can't, other than leading somebody and helping them know how to be born again, there is nothing greater than we can do for anybody than to practically help them, serve them in a manner that, that we help them start their prayer life or in the Word of God. I just, I just personally think that we've got to get more into conversations about what God is saying to us through the Word. Let's, we, we, ha- we have to bring this stronger into our conversations. It should be a common thing for us to just be talking and say, um, the other day I was, I was in the Word of God and I saw this in the Word of God. Today we were going down the road, uh, Brad shared with me, some things that he had seen in Scripture lately. I, I, I said, where was that? I mean, I've like never even heard that story. And I thought I had heard a few. Uh, but we were talk, we were sharing about, about kingdom things. We were sharing about the Word of God. Th- this should just be common because this is what I believe. If we will talk to people about what God is saying to us, He will say more to us. If we will talk more about what God is saying to us, I believe God will, will speak more to us. And then we go into a kingdom mindset. You say, now, wait, we're talking spiritually. Well, hang with me here. Uh, when I think about our minds being the battleground and how we must intentionally develop a kingdom mindset, intentionally, and I think that it's very important that we help other people. I'm talking all ages right now. I'm not just talking about the silent generation or older. I'm not just saying that. I'm talking all ages now. We've got to help people with this. When, when we're talking about these things, then this kingdom mindset, it's we help people think kingdom over culture. 
kingdom over culture. Church, we know our culture is seriously divided. I mean, I don't remember a time that I have seen so much division in the United States. And so we have to serve people spiritually, and in doing that, we help them to develop a kingdom mindset. I mean, we we need to be talking things like, look, we know it's bad here. God's going to have to help us. Uh, but we, we've got to stay focused on the kingdom. We cannot settle our thinking and our mind down on this level. We can't handle this level. Has anybody realized this yet? I mean, just in the last, what, year, year and a half, whatever. Does, does anybody realize the world's gone crazy? I mean, and, and, like, and like we don't have answers. Do you realize that too? And how divisive it is? On so many things, I mean, there are topics right now that are dividing churches. It's absolutely crazy. I travel, I'm talking to pastors, and pastors are like, man, I had no idea that I would be fighting, in that, that we would have such issues inside the church about what's happening in the country. No. In your notes, divisiveness is not welcome in the church. Uh, it, it will seek many doors, and one door that it seeks to come through is, is the generation gap. The generation gap. And so you see in your notes that generation gap is not a biblical term, and if, if we would go to the dictionaries, which we would have to, but since it's not in the Bible, we see that it says in, in the Cambridge English Dictionary that it's a lack of understanding between older and younger people that result from different experiences in life. So my experience in life causes a division whenever I look at people that have not experienced what I've experienced. Webster says the difference in opinions and values between younger and older people. So what happens is, if we're not careful, is there's there's a generation gap. We, we, don't, we can't take a generation gap in the church. Not in the kingdom, because the kingdom is multi-generational. And so when we're, so it's not enough just for us to think this, we got to speak this. And, and we, have to, we have to stretch. Now there's absolutely no way I can understand the younger generation. But understanding, don't think I've lost my mind here, hear me out. Understanding is overrated. You say, well, I, I just can't understand them. Well, quit trying. It's not about us understanding. It's about us loving, and it's about us being concerned about what faces them whether we think it's a big deal or not. It's, it's not running it through our filter. If we have to run everything through our filter for us to understand, we're never going to be effective. I used to tell uh, youth leaders all the time, look, man, those kids that, that, uh, that are having these, you know, this boyfriend-girlfriend thing in junior high, don't play that down. You say, ah, oh, it's just puppy love. But as one guy said, but it's real to the dog. We, we can't. So, so what we do in all this generational stuff is, is well, I don't understand them. Well, I don't, 
I don't have to. It's not, I'm not the judge of the earth. I'm not the judge of the earth. So if, so if I will say, I don't have to understand you or even agree with your decisions. To love you and be concerned, we've got to be concerned with the mess that people are in even if they caused it. Have you ever caused a mess by something you did? And you knew, I caused it, I did this. Well, you're sure thankful for the people that still loved you and helped you even when you caused it. So when we're talking about this generation gap thing, we've got to be extremely, extremely careful because Satan uses gaps. Mark 3.25 in your notes. And if a house be divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And so when we're thinking generation gap, we have to think anti-kingdom. Anytime we hear somebody, even anytime we hear a younger person talking about those stupid old people or, or older people who are like those crazy people lost their mind. I heard somebody say, ah, man, what was, what was the age? Uh, when, they get, uh, when they get 13, put them in a barrel and drill a hole uh, in it and put a straw there where they can breathe. And when they uh, get 16, take the straw out and, and just plug up the hole. Okay, well, uh, I, I don't know. I don't know. Lacey, you, you got some kids kind of in that, uh, in that round. I don't know. I don't know. If, I, I just don't think that's the, the opinion that God's wanting his church to have about different generations. Generation gap. Not here. Nope, not here. Might not understand you. Your music might be weird. Uh, you, you, may, you may dress, uh, you know, it's like, man, styles are crazy. It, it's all, it's just like, but, when, but when's the church going to say, nah? No, I'm talking spiritually right now because it gets in people's heads and affects them spiritually. Mm, no, not here. We're a multi-generational church. We are based on the generational model. Everybody is important in this church. Every generation matters. And so in your notes, as I better hurry big time, the apostolic church cannot be fully mature and powerful with gaps. And so every generation has to be equipped. Every generation has to be involved. Every generation should thrive until death. You say, that's, that's pretty aggressive. I just believe that it's scriptural also. Because serving people spiritually is the ultimate goal. Now, we may have to go through a felt need to get there. But then there are some people, um, uh, Pastor Andrew is probably going to share a story later that he just shared with me that it's amazing. I'm not going to share his great story. He'll do it at some point. Because there are some people that, that will show up to us that are just, man, they're just wide open. The Spirit of God's dealing with them now, and they're ready to go spiritually. But we have to have, we have, to have discernment, but, we, but we've got to keep in mind that serving somebody spiritually is the most important. Amen? So let's move quickly to emotionally. I know that our emotions are very important. Um, I, I believe in focusing on emotional health, but 
one thing that I know is true is there will be emotionally unhealthy people in heaven, and there will be people who were considered emotionally healthy on earth that are going to be in hell. Did I say that slow enough for us to get it? I am very interested in people's emotional health. Absolutely, I am. But at the same time, we, we have to make sure what is the most important. But this is what we know the enemy will seek to control us through our emotions. Absolutely will. And so when I was thinking about how to serve people emotionally, these are the three quick topics that came to my mind. Number one, fellowship. Fellowship. Fellowship is a must, and loneliness is a real issue. Loneliness is a real issue, and loneliness has taken a toll on many people. It's a real issue. I personally agree with the statement that says life moves at the speed of relationships. I, I believe that, and I also believe that until someone is worth someone's time, not much good is going to happen in their life. Until somebody is worth somebody's time, then there's probably not going to be a lot of good that is done. And so we know that worthlessness is a real battle. And, and this, this is what concerns me about shut-ins. This is what concerns me, because what can happen in a church like this is, uh, man, we, we could rewind five years and get up here and take a look at a, at a video maybe shot from this direction, and it'd be like, whoa, they're not able to come anymore. Where are they? Are they dead? Are they're still alive? Are they forgotten? I mean, I'm talking about people who, I mean, I'm talking about people who've invested here, like, like a lot. We, we have to be, we have to be very, very careful because islands are dangerous and the enemy seeks to divide us. If fellowship becomes a reality, the enemy seeks to taint the fellowship with gossip and turn it into dirty fellowship. We have to be very careful. I've, I've gone in places before. I've been in, in circles where I have left. I have left with people in the church, and I have felt refreshed. I felt renewed. It's like, wow, man, I've walked out of some restaurants before just about shaking my head to the car saying, why in the world did I ever go to that dump and eat? So when we're talking about fellowship, it's, it's, it's powerful. We need it emotionally. And let's not let the enemy get in there. So there's another thing emotionally that's so very important. Melanie teaches a, a great lesson on this, and it's purpose. People have to know their purpose. People have to know their reason, their reason for, for living. And, and when we can align ourselves, if we can serve people in a manner that, that helps them understand, you've got to be in fellowship, you've got to be connected with people, you've, you've got to be watching for people, let's not let anybody, you know, let's not let shut in be shut out. Now, I'm, I'm hoping, if, 
I'm open if we do anything from this lesson, and I hadn't been here long enough to know who the shut-ins are. So I'm, I'm clueless. I'm absolutely clueless. But I hope, I hope that this lesson at least gets some people thinking about, oh, now hang on a second. Do we have a shut-in that now feels shut out? Because that, that just cannot be. We, we help people into fellowship. That helps us emotionally. We help people with their purpose. When we get aligned to, to purpose, it is a life changer. So fellowship and purpose fights loneliness. Is this making sense? Fellowship, connection, and purpose fights loneliness. Well, then emotionally, this thought came to me, and let me share it with you. Principle over method. There are churches that are blowing up because they do not understand this simple thing. It's principle over method. There are a lot of good people in the kingdom of God that have been effective in the kingdom of God that now they're a basket case. It's like, what happened to these people? They, they used to be effective. They used to be involved. They were on purpose. They were in fellowship. They, and now it's like that it's almost like they can't find their way. Well, what happens many times is people confuse a method for principle. Now, in a church like this, um, all ages, all generations, we must be focused on the principles of this church. The principles. It's the new birth. It's discipleship. It's worship. These are principles. And what I ask you, please never die on a hill called method. Never die on a hill called method. Well, I don't like that method. There's a lot of methods I don't like. I've, I've seen methods change in my, in my years in church. Some methods I like that change. Some methods I just, I didn't like. And, and we've got to be careful about the way we think about the good old days. Because good old days to all of us means something different. People have, people have actually left churches over method changes methods. And so what's happened to us now is a wrecking ball called COVID swung in. I mean, did it ever, you, you know, I mean, think, things have changed around here like crazy just in the three years I've been here. And I don't, and we, we really don't know what changes are, are next, but, but God help us to help people emotionally by helping them lock in on principle. The principle has not changed. But the method. I have seen people. I have seen people. And I'm going to quit on time. i got seven minutes. I have seen people that were effective for decades. Decades. And a method change. A schedule change. We had to change a ministry type something. And you would have thought that we started getting up in the pulpit and preaching that we believed in 25 gods. Just totally, 
totally flipped out and, and didn't just flip out, got out. Just took their little toys and got out. It's like, I mean, it's a head scratcher to me. And what happens is, is it affects people emotionally in a, in a major way. And so if I'm going to serve somebody, if I'm going to effectively serve somebody in my generation and, and they will listen to me, I'm going to look at them and say, come on, don't confuse, don't get confused in your head. This is not a principle change. It's a method change. Keep it in line. Don't, don't let the enemy get in our heads by, by a method change. I hope we'll hear this. What God has us positioned for here at New Life, I can't tell you how excited I am when I do get to be involved. And then when I'm not involved, I'm online as soon as I can to catch up. Uh, you know, and try to stay in step with what the Spirit is saying. I'm as excited as I can be. And, you know, I've, I, told, I told Pastor, we were in a conversation months ago, and I said, man, got a good thing going here if nobody gets stupid. This is one, I mean, we're, we, we got a good thing going if nobody gets stupid. If, if we don't have any, you know, major influencers get stupid, we've, we've got a great thing going. And we're going to have to make sure that we keep principle, 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 principle. And method, I might not like it. I have said, I mean, how many times have I said, I have worshipped to so many songs I didn't like. I, you know, but it's, but it's like, okay, whatever. Or, you know, are we, then let's go this way. And, and let's stay focused on principle and not let the enemy get an easy win. Is this making sense? And so now I've got four minutes to talk physically. Physically. Physical needs. Uh, this is, again, many times when we start teaching about serving, this is what we think. But um, let me just say it like this. We simply cannot have forgotten, sick, or hungry members of New Life Fellowship. We, we cannot have forgotten or, or sick, alone, or hungry members of New Life Fellowship. That, that just cannot be. We've, you know, we've got a great food pantry. We've got tremendous people here. Uh, we, we've got generous people here, and we just absolutely cannot have this. So when we're talking about helping people with, with food, um, I remember as a child, and we, I, we did not have a food pantry at the church I grew up in, in Fort Smith, but man, and my parents were not wealthy. They were not wealthy. But I, but I, remember, I remember as a kid that we'd, we'd push our you know, basket up and we'd start you know, helping them put the food on the little thing that moved. We thought that was cool. And so we're doing all that. And then mother or dad would say, okay, now, okay, now wait, put that in a separate bag. Put here, put these in a separate bag. And then on our way home, it was stopping at some elder's house or another house or whatever and dropping a bag of groceries. I mean, that was just life. Um, 
we have to be tied into this. Man, nobody can be hungry here. Now, if we're all hungry, okay, that's, that's one thing. I mean, if everything goes to hell in a handbasket and we're all hungry, okay, we'll all be hungry together. But right now, that has not happened. So nobody can be hungry here, right? I mean, the Bible talks about if somebody's hungry and we say, well, God bless you, go in peace. What? No, it's not God bless you, go in peace. It's, it's let's go to the store. Let's get you fed. And this is also how we serve. Clothing? Man, let's, let's you know... Pass clothes around or share clothes or whatever. And if you see somebody uh, wearing something that you used to wear, uh, don't say, well, hey, it looks better on you than it did me. You know, no, no, let, let's not bring it. Let's not act like that. that's the deal. Just let's, let's do the clothing thing. Shelter? Yeah, there, there, may, be, there may be time that, that we have to help somebody pay their rent or their house note or something. When we talk domestic, you know, there, we have shut-ins that do not need to be getting up on a ladder to change their light bulbs. That does not need to happen. There's, there's things that, that, we, that we can do. And when we're talking about medical, uh, you know, praying for people and transporting them to appointments and these kinds of things, this is how we serve our own, our own generation. So in closing, we are a generational church. We are concerned about other generations, and we have to focus somewhere. So let's, let's focus on our, our own generation and see how it will move from, from there. Um, you know, elders... I, I challenge the elders to start planning now, here we go, morbid, how you will die. You say, okay, now I don't want to think about that. Well, well let's think about this a minute. Because I want to tell you, an elder that lays on their deathbed and their last conscious words are blessed when they're blessing their children and they're blessing their grandchildren, that's big. That's an impact that your children and your grandchildren will never forget. But there's going to have to be a lot of intentionality right now if you're going to be laying on your deathbed blessing on the way out, if you get that opportunity. I've tried to find a picture of it, and I do not know I do not know where that picture is. I was going to put it up right now. But uh, my dad passed away in 1980, and I've got a picture of his tombstone. And on his tombstone, it literally says he served his own generation and has that act scripture. Um, that, is, that is just one of the greatest things that can be said of anybody. And so the challenge tonight is, is let's, let's lean into this serving. Let's serve our own generation. And, and let's, let's tag in with some real needs. We may have to go in the back door with felt needs to get to the real need. But let's keep what needs to be the most important, the most important. Amen? Can we stand together?
I'd like for us to just close in prayer. And uh, I believe that while we're praying right now, the Spirit of God will speak to many and uh, give you a thought about somebody and something that you need to do like tomorrow, the day after, in the next couple of days. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the power of your word. We thank you for how you speak through your word. Now, God, help this to be more than just a lesson, but help it to be, help it to be your word working in our life to go and make a difference and serve our generation. You served. Everything you did was serving. Even, even when you served the blind sight, when you, when you served the, the, the paralytic mobility, when you, it was serving. You used what you could do and you served. Help us to reach down inside and do anything that we possibly can to serve someone else and let our generations be blessed and led to you in a deeper manner because of it. Let it be done in Jesus' name. And can the church say amen?